0: Noontime. Well, noontime. Go to the book of Psalms. If you got your Bible, go to the book of Psalms. Psalms 133, about the 133rd psalm. 133rd psalm. We're going to start at verse 1. Short psalm. That let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you and we praise you for being God and for being here with us, God. Help us to truly see you as beautiful, God, to truly enjoy you and delight in you, Father God, to never to forget you or take you for granted, my God. Just always be before our minds and in our hearts, God, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Picking up in the 133rd Psalms, we're going to continue to talk about a little bit what we talked about last week. And that's about us as being a family and being a unit and the responsibility that we have for one another. And the way we're going to take it is take this psalm as our springboard and we're going to jump into the New Testament and get a couple examples or the teachings of Paul around this same theme of unity and us being one. So we read here in Psalms, the 133rd Psalm said, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. For it is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. A very short psalm. But it's a short psalm that's compacted and it's picking up on a very strong theme. And that opening statement is the springboard. To what he's talking about in this psalm. Behold how good and how pleasant it is. For brethren to to dwell together in unity. So the psalmist is calling our attention. To this one beautiful thing. And he's singing about it. Like pay attention. Look behold. How good and how pleasant it is. For brethren to dwell together in unity. So in the mind of the psalmist. The unity of the brethren. Is a good and pleasant thing. And I like the way he wrapped it. Because if you just think with our natural mind. The way we think generally you have one or the other you either have something that's good or something that's pleasant that's the way we come up with it's like when you're growing up as a kid you can eat good food or you can eat pleasurable food you eat good food the green beans the spinach (laughs) all the things that are beneficial to you the stuff that you do not want to have anything to do with brussels sprouts and asparagus and All those type of things that is yucky. Or you can eat pleasant food. The stuff that the only reason you eat it is because it delights you and it tastes good to your taste buds. Candy, M&M's, Snickers, ice cream, cake, and all that good stuff. That's the pleasant stuff. Stuff you feel a certain way when you eat it. Like chocolate has the ability to produce an effect on you. That's pleasant. But that milk chocolate in that Hershey bar is not good. Because it's loaded down with hot fructose corn syrup and all those type of stuff. So you either have a choice. But the way the psalmist put it here, you get both of them when you get brethren dwelling together in unity. So this is something that is beneficial. This is something that is virtuous. This is something that is upright, a delight as well. So it's something that brings unity. I mean, something that brings pleasure. It is something that is to be enjoyed. It is something that's to, to delight in as well as being beneficial when you have the brethren dwelling together in unity. And he picks up on this theme and expounds on it in his poetic language in verse 2 and 3. So we got the good thing and you got the pleasant thing. And he it said it's like the ointment that was poured on Aaron's head that flowed down through the beard. So you get the the picture of of unity being this precious ointment. It's something that God used to consecrate and and, and to pour blessings upon Aaron. It's something that's sweet, aromatic, something that brings delight and it elevated Aaron to a status of anointing. So that's part of the goodness of it or the, the pleasantness of it. It has an aroma to it. It's something to delight in. It's something that's pleasant and it's something that consecrates. Because it's like this oil that ran down and Beard and it gives you this very poetic picture all the way down to the hem of his garment. So you see this precious anointing oil just flowing down and, and it's filling the room with aroma and it's, and, it's, and it's something just pleasant sight. And it says also like the dew upon the tops of the mountain. So the dew on the top of the mountain run down and feeds the valley. It's what allows the vegetation to grow in the valley. So like this is the unity of the brethren. It's to do. It's to ointment. It's something pleasant. It's something that brings beneficial life to those things. And it's like there is what God commanded his blessings, even life forevermore. And so when you read it, the question you have to ask is like, where is the there? Is he talking about on Mount Zion? Is that where God demanded his blessing? Or is he talking about the blessing of Aaron? Is that where God demanded his blessing? What it goes back to is the blessing of the unity. So the place where the brethren dwell together in unity, where they're united in one, that good and that pleasant thing, God has commanded his blessing there. And what is that blessing? Even life forevermore. So there's life that flows from the unity of the brethren. And there's blessings that is that exist just in the unity of the blessing. I mean the unity of the brethren. So long as we have true unity amongst us, we have the blessings of God. We have life forevermore. Once we get together as brethren and as a family, how good and how pleasant that is. And that's the goodness and the pleasantness of it is that God has demanded his blessing there. So if there's anything that we can do to cultivate that, what we're doing is cultivate life and blessing just by working towards the unity of the church. So it should be our effort and our energy to maintain, to create, to cultivate unity. Because once we're doing that, we're getting the thing that God blessed. We're getting the outflow of life. And so let's jump and look at a couple of things that Paul commands us to do to work towards this unity. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I think it's verse 9, I won't. Yeah, Romans chapter 12, verse 9. He says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. He said, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. So this is Paul's commands to the, to the church. And it, on the outflow of him talking about our ministry and our service. He said, let brotherly, I mean, let love be without dissimulation. This is a a verse that we need to hold to our heart so we need to have love we need to be in love but it needs to be without hypocrisy or without changing that we should have the same love all the way across the board within this unit so it shouldn't be no fake love shouldn't be no phony love Without dissimulation, without change, without hypocrisy, without going up and down uh, in an unhidden love, just unfeigned love that we have, a real and a genuine love that we should have for one another. And then he follows it up with this crazy command, abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. And if you just read it, it seems like he's talking about something different. It's like he's giving you bullet points. Love everybody, hate what is evil and do that which is, and cleave to that which is good. But if you think about it, True love produces this response. That love has the ability to 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 elicit some things out of you that normally wouldn't do. Just think about it. Like when you're out in your regular life, work, school. Certain responses for certain people are recognizing certain people are in a certain situation. It don't move you the same. It's like, oh man, that bad. I'm sorry. Uh, even when people do something messed up, it's like, man, they should be doing that. they ruining their life. That's sad. But when you find out somebody you love is in the same predicament, it the the, the response is a whole lot more aggressive. Like you said, parents can can, can picture this a little bit more. Like, if somebody else's children are acting up in the store and cutting the book, you'd be like, man, that child needs to sit themselves down somewhere. They No, they ain't got no business acting like that. That's bad because you don't like that. Now, if your own children get to acting up in the store, the aggression and the fervor that flows from you because it's yours is a whole lot different because you got a whole nother level of expectation from your own children than you do of other people's children. And he got this connection together that in let we let love be without dissimulation. But we also abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. So we have a love one for another that allow us, that prevails us, that provokes us to hate evil. And then we see it with one another. It should evoke a response just like a parent to his child when they see something that ain't right. And it, it, it creates this response of fervor and aggression in our response. But we cleave to that which is good. So in our love for one another, it cannot be a love that means everything is okay. Because if your love allows the growth of evil, it's not a real love. Because you can't allow people you love to be destroyed and think it okay. And this is the picture that we have to put together and develop in this unity. So as we move and as we love one another... Our love cannot be a love that does not offend. That's why the Proverbs tell us, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Like, hey, the folks who love you and they hurt you, those are the faithful things. Those are the stuff you can depend on. That's the stuff that you can count on. But the flattery of the lips from the foolish, that that that's for the destruction of your soul. So we have to have a love that we have the ability to correct, that we aggressively go after evil. And we cleave and we hold on to those things that are good. And I like how he put it in verse 10. It said, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. That, that, that phrase, be kindly affection one to another. It, it means have familiar affection. It's, it's the same type of affection that you have that's purely based off relation. It's like you have the ability. Like You got a whole bunch of sisters and brothers. Do any of them ever get on your nerve? I'll just flash back when y'all living together. Did any of them ever get on your nerve? How often? Yeah. Couple times. Maybe once or twice. <laughs> yeah. And it it happens. Now, does their ability to get on your nerves stifle your affections for them if one of them end up hurt or sick? Is is you still feel it? And that's the type of affection that he's referring to here. Because it's just based on who they are. So there's a, a familiar affection and there's a familiar compassion that's developed just based off relation. And he's saying, y'all have that be kind, what do you mean by be kindly affection to one another? Have this familiar affection to where you have a compassion towards a person just purely based off relation. You don't get no deeper than that. With brotherly love, I mean, be kindly affectionate with one another, with brotherly love. So along with this familiar affection, you have a family love, just the, the type of love that you got just for your kinfolk. That Philadelphia. Brotherly love. <laughs> That's the word. That's the type of love we need to have for one another. And it needs to be without dissimulation. There's no hypocrisy. There's no going back and forth in it. And evil is something that we don't like in it. But good is something that we cleave to. But none of those things alter our affection. That we still have this compassion for one another. And we got this brotherly kindness for one another. And then he tells us how to do it. Say said, in honor, doing what? Preferring one another. So in this love, without hypocrisy... In this love that hates evil and cleaves to good, we prefer one another. That means that you take them over yourself. If you got to pick one who you want to please, you choose the other one before you choose yourself. That's that's a deep statement. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. says if there be therefore any consolation in christ if any comfort of love if any fellowship of the spirit if any bowels of mercy bowels and mercy fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded having the same love being of one accord and of one mind so this is paul he's setting this thing up like if inside of christ there is any consolation so if if christ can bring any comfort is there any comfort of love inside of christ if the the spirit can offer fellowship once you're in Christ if any of these things is true so do y'all think Christ can bring comfort Yeah, so that's one of them so if any of that stuff is true so since we got one of them we know it's true that Christ is can bring comfort that there is fellowship of the spirit and communion of the spirit so since that is true we said fulfill you my joy that you be like minded having the same love Being of one accord and of one mind. So, since Christ can bring comfort, this is what y'all need to do: have the same love, the same type of love Christ has. You need to have it. Being of one mind and of one accord. So, this one mind—what he means is basically one intent. Y'all moving and operating on in, in lockstep with the same purposes and passion. You got the same disposition. You're going in the same direction, and you're doing this stuff on one accord. That means that we're working in in lockstep in unity with each other. So we got a similar passion and we're going in a similar way and this is the way that we should operate. And he based this on if there's any consolation of the Spirit in Christ, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit or consolation of Christ. So since Christ has consolation and since the Spirit has fellowship, the unity of the church should be something that we have based off this one love that we have for each other. And that brings us to a dilemma a little bit, because I say, always say, it, because I heard it over and over again. Everybody ain't gonna ever be on one accord. That's what the church tell us. You always gonna have some disagreements. There always gonna be somebody you don't like, somebody you don't get along with, and that's just the way it is. But way Paul wrapped his arguments like if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any love, I mean, comfort of love, then y'all need to do this. So if this is true, then these things should be true. And the way that you do what he said is through love. You have the same love. And he expands on this. He said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. So we cultivate this oneness and we cultivate this unity, this one accord through lowliness of mind and refusing to do anything out of strife or vain glory. What do you mean by strife is through contention. Nothing I've done is done out of contention for somebody else or with somebody else. And nothing i done is done to boost myself up. If I look back on it and I'm upset because... Cabronica didn't give me my credit when I helped her I need to check myself and I'm in the wrong because there's a good chance that what I did I didn't do out of love I did it out of vain glory and there was something that was supposed to be fulfilled that was left unfulfilled by her because I didn't get my thank you you know what I'm saying she didn't give me my credit I sat there and I talked to her all that time and she go go tell somebody else what she learned and ain't telling what she learned from. <laughs> if ever that be our thought or our mind that that's building through vainglory. And we need to watch those motives because sometimes you have it and the be, you don't even pay attention to it and it pop up in your mind. Hold on, that's what I said. <laughs> you be hoping somebody give you your credit. But Lisa let nothing be done for those purposes. So everything we do, none of us should go back to strife, out of contentions. None of us should go back to building up ourselves. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. So everything we do should be done out of a humble mind. So we put, should be putting ourselves down and lifting everybody else up. And not only lifting them up, he said esteem them better than yourself. So when I'm moving and I'm operating within this body, I should have a mindset that the people that I'm loving, the people that I'm serving is better than me. Now just imagine, and get personal for a second, if marriages would adopt this. Like all married people just get the mind that in this union, in this family, I'm serving them because they're better than me. And everything I do, it's for them. I'm living out of service to this other person. You think we have a lot of divorce? Cause I want nobody be dissatisfied. If the husband is seeking to please the wife and serve the wife and he got a lowliness of mind, esteeming his wife greater than him and the wife is doing the same, humbling herself down, esteeming the husband better than them and they're just trying to please one another, I think that'll be good. I don't think you begin too many complaints. Well, he just don't make me happy. Because you have a mindset it ain't his job to make me happy. It's mine to make him happy. And if we had that mindset, that'll kill a whole bunch of foolishness. And it could work in the family and it's supposed to be the lifestyle of the church. That the way we move and the way we operate with each other is that everybody else is better. And I'm trying to build them up esteem the others better than yourself so i'm lifting them up to a position greater than me then he he, he follows it up and get a little deep in verse four look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others so the whole purpose of my artwork is not my own stuff but also the stuff for others and the way i wrap that the way he, he said it by adding that also i take it in the mindset of the way i'm moving i'm not just looking out for me but am i looking out Everybody else is included in that because I'm looking also upon the things of others, so the, the the needs the the weaknesses, the things the ways that I can benefit others that's what I'm looking at, not just solely to benefit myself, not just solely to to provide my own needs, not just solely to 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 satisfy myself, but to satiate those around me You need, you need to go and get a little deeper he said. And he goes through this discourse of what Christ did. So Christ was God. He was found in the form of God. So there was a point. Christ dwelling in eternity as God himself. And he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What he's saying is when he was dwelling in the form of God, he ain't thinking that no, no big deal. That him and God was the same and that he was cool with that. But what he did, he became a man and took on the form of a servant. So God robbed himself of godness and clothed himself in humanity to be a servant. And that's the conclusion of, oh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So it's this mind of humility, this mind of the ability or the willingness to rob yourself to benefit others. To put yourself on the same plane as the others and allow God to be the one that exalts you. What you working to serve the others. Say so he became obedient even unto the death. This is the mind of Christ. And so when we think about that, we have the mind of Christ. Here, Paul is saying, you got the mind of humility. A mind of a servant. A mind that's willing to step down and esteem others better than yourself. If you do not have this mind, you do not have the mind of Christ. Because Christ came to serve, not to be served. So I came to minister not to be ministered to. That's the mind that Christ can. He said if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, the greatest amongst you must be what? Servant of them all. So the most people you can serve, the greater you are. And this is the mind that Christ has. This is the mindset of the kingdom. And if we have this mindset in the church, we will have a unity. Because everybody will be looking out for one another. Ain't no big eyes, little yous. That we all are one people, serving for one goal and one passion, and ain't nobody greater than the other. And if we got somebody greater than the other, it's everybody is greater than me. And it's my job to serve them. Like I'm saying, so if we, if we get, if we ever get to be one of them high bishop churches where people have to stop and applaud when the bishop come in, we about to do that every time somebody come through the door. <laughs> Evan is here. Cabrera is here. And we need to be stopping service every time somebody walks through that door. If we ever get to be one of them people. Because who deserves to be celebrated? Who deserves to be lifted up? All of us. All of us who are good. We abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. And we gotta love that since without dissimulation. And we have a mindset where we humble ourselves and willing to serve one another. And none of us can ever get to a place where we too good. To help people. Were we too good to work? Were we too good to do the, the simple, the mundane things that cultivates life and unity of the fellowship because we all should have the mind of Christ and Christ was willing to stop being God so he can help people. That deep. And I don't think none of us rolled to, to Godhood yet. Matter of fact, ain't none of us ever going to make it. The Mormons are lying. You'd never be a God. And if the greatest of us all, God Himself, Elohim, the beginning and the end, if he can say, Hey, I'm finna step down and I'm willing to serve and put myself in the subjection to human beings to help human beings, I think we can. I don't think it's that deep for us to help one another out. You know that God allowed himself to be spit in the face by people he made. That their life consists and they live and move and have their being in him. And he let them spit them in his face and joke on. Slap them in the face and say, hey, if you're a prophet, tell me who hit you. That's the mind of Christ. A mind that's willing to suffer for the benefit of others. And that's the mind that creates and cultivates unity. Because you can't live off strife and vain glory if you got that kind of mindset. And you will be moving in lockstep in one accord if you have that type of mindset. And this is the mindset that we have. And if we cultivate this, this is the place where God commands his what? Blessing. So if we want to see a move of God, a move of the spirit, we need to see a move of the spirit inside of us. Binding us, uniting us, and giving us lowliness and humility. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Let's start at verse 12. Galatians five twelve. It said, For I would that they were even cut off who, which trouble you. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This is Paul. He's talking to these Galatians and they're in the midst of controversy. As you got the Judaizers coming in and trying to make them get circumcised and making them doubt their salvation. And others fighting against them. And there's all this confusion going on. And that's what Paul opened up with. I wish that those folks who trouble you, those folks who building up all this strife and all this foolishness, I wish that they were cut off. It's like because you have been called unto liberty. So get the mindset. You have been called to freedom. God has taken you away from bondage. Said, so "Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh." So you don't take your liberty and use it to serve and satisfy your flesh. And that's one of the dangerous doctrines that we have to be aware of. That people like, "I'm free in Christ." What do you mean free? I can go be a drunkard. You know what I'm saying you can't judge me because I'm free in Christ. No, drunkards shall still have their part in the lake of fire. That's the truth. So what he's saying is you don't take liberty. Whatever your understanding of liberty is, it cannot be used to justify you living out or satisfying your flesh. So don't use liberty as an occasion to the flesh. But instead, he says, you take your liberty, the freedom that Christ has given you, and by love you serve one another. And he's using the contrast of pictures because the word he used as serve literally means to make yourself a slave of another. So you take your liberty and you become the slave of each other. That's voluntary or involuntary servitude. And it's given this contrasting picture of we take our freedom, we take our liberation from Christ, our liber- I mean our liberation in Christ, our liberation from sin, our liberation from the abundances of tradition, and we use these things to serve each other. And that's why Paul can take, make the statement like he do in Corinthians. He's taking the same principle. It's like, hey, If your brother is offended by your eating in love for your brother, you don't eat. So you take your freedom to eat and you squelch it and you use it as a freedom to be not eat for the purpose of serving your brother. And this is the same mind that he got here. So you take your liberties and you take your freedoms and you're willing to bind yourself just to help somebody else out. You're willing to restrict yourself just to maintain a service to your brother and it's like you do this by love so love is the motivating factor that allow you to restrict the way you live just for the satisfaction of your other it's like hey you got friends and they struggle with whatever it is they struggle with it ain't your struggle and it ain't wrong but the activity has the ability to provoke in them something that is evil. And you hate evil. So you're willing to take upon yourself the same strictness that they must live in and you live in the same thing out of service to them. So if you got a brother that's like, let's say, that struggle with alcoholism and y'all go up in the Applebee's and the only thing open is the seat at the bar. And be like, man, I can't sit at the bar looking at all that liquor for for two hours. And you be like, no, we refuse to sit at the bar looking at that liquor for two hours. We'll wait on the table. Like, sir, it's going to be an hour and 30 minutes. <laughs> but you're willing to do that because you use your liberty. You like, ain't got no problem sitting at the bar. I just want some hot wings and some fries. We can eat and go and be like, "Nah, I can't sit at the bar, and that don't make me want to drink, so your mindset become as a servant to them, I restrict myself and say, I can't sit at the bar, and if you ain't got no other table, we going to leave your establishment Because we use our liberty not to satisfy our flesh and ourselves and cultivate our own evil desires, but we use those things to serve other people, and then he going to expand on this thing he Said, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed of one another. So the contrast that he has is what's going on that Instead of serving one another, it says if you bite and devour, if you're you attacking each other, you're going after each other. It gives a picture of like a wolf coming amongst the sheep. And we get that a lot of times throughout the scripture that there are going to be outsiders coming in to try to fleece the flock. But he's saying that if y'all divide and devour each other, so you get the picture of all the sheep attacking each other. Like, if you do that, y'all going to be consumed one or another. So there's a possibility for us to not live in unity, not living in service for one another, but living to satisfy our own flesh and our desires, which will create a condition where we are attacking each other. And we're going after each other. And it's like when you're doing that, you're going to devour each other and y'all going to be consumed one or another. The unity, the institution, the church itself going to be swallowed up. Who going to swallow it up? Not the devil from the outside, but the devil's inside. And devil mean adversary. And when you opposing the unity of other people, you are what? You're a devil. You're an adversary. you biting and devouring. like, but don't do that. And watch what he do now. In 16, said, this I say then. So with all this stuff being true. Everything we going over, you call to liberty and all this stuff. So this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusted against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these: adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, raps, strifes, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelance, and such like: of the which I tell you before as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, longsuffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance: against such there is no law. And so he goes into this discourse about the life of the flesh versus the life of the spirit. And he begins to tie the whole letter together with all of these things in lockstep. But pay attention. Look at the list pretty good. The vast majority of the list has to do with relations with one another. Adultery, fornication, wrath, envying, emulation, seditions, strife. All of these things show discord in relation. Because he could have just put lying, lusting, you know what I'm saying? All that's personal stuff, stuff that go on on the inside. But what he showed is is relational things as being manifestation of the flesh. So if you got any of these things going on in the midst of the unity of, of the body, this is a demonstration that folks are living in the flesh. And we're supposed to use our liberty not as occasion for the flesh, but by love serve one another. And the contrast is if you live in the spirit, you got what? Love. Because we're supposed to serve each other by love, joy, peace, patience, meekness, gentleness, temperance. And all of these are relational attributes. Because it's easy to be patient with yourself. That's an easy thing to do. Like if ain't nobody around but you, you can be patient. But what patience becomes trying is when you're being patient with who? Other people. Like I said, I know this is the good crowd, and y'all the good people. So y'all ain't got the same problem as the other service. And we just going to say it's the people in the other service. Some of them people, when they go to the store and they in the front of the line, they have the ability to take their time and to make sure they do everything that they're supposed to do and want to do before they move on. You ever seen any other people like that? Y'all probably been behind some of the people in the first serve. they they. They want to talk, they want to ask for, for price checks on certain things. They are going to take their time to make sure all their bags is going. And they going to get, when they get their change back, they going to stop right there, put it together, remove the receipt, put it in their purse, put their purse, I mean, put it in their wallet, put their wallet in their purse, zip it up, make sure it's secure, Then they going to move on. Now they do all them steps. And when you behind them people, I mean, when you are one of those people, the worst thing anybody could do is tell you to hurry up. Because you making sure you're doing everything right. You don't go just walking off from the counter with your money all in your hands and stuffing it down your pocket. Your, your, most of your parents beat that out of you. They put that money up. Don't just be walking around with money. Out. Any of y'all ever had one of them parents? You don't, just, you don't walk off from the thing with your money hanging all out. So you do all that stuff before you move. So you just doing things right. So when somebody get upset with them people in the first service, they taking offense to it. Because you should be patient. I'm just taking my time to make sure I'm doing it right. And it's easy to understand that. Except when you take a step back and you're the person behind. When you are the person, people should understand. But when you're behind and you got somewhere to go, and this person want to ask two, three questions. You know what I'm saying? They want to do price check. You know what I'm saying? The order's already over. The lady ready to ring my stuff up. And you round checking groceries and you sitting there, you getting your purse and you checking to make sure you put it. That stuff can get a little frustrating. Because it's easy to be patient with yourself. But patience expressed to other people, ain't that great of a virtue. Because people should understand your time and people should respect you. And people should do all that other stuff. And that's hard stuff temperance and and, and all that kindness gentleness all of those are relational aspects and watch how paul he he messed this thing all the way up and he take jabs he's saying they that are christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust if we live in the spirit let us also walk in the spirit so i I get the mind when i read this thing and i can just imagine myself being in the congregation where they preaching this they got this letter from paul and they reading it and there's some not right stuff going on in the church and we got some disunity so when paul going through this list i can hit myself like oh man yeah that's me uh, that envy and stuff i i got that but i know i'm saying and so i could picture myself wrestling and struggling with this thing because he did say the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit see so i'm in that wrestling moment and, and i got this stuff going on while, while i'm fighting but then he end this thing up and say hey They that are in Christ have crucified the flesh with the lusts thereof. Like, hold up. And he gives a a, a piece of finality to it. So it's no longer an if. And an if is those who are in Christ, they have crucified the flesh. In the lusts and affections thereof. So everything that flows from the flesh, the people who are in Christ, they've been separated from that stuff. And that'll make the, the stuff hit a little hard and be like, hold up. So if I got strife, if I got enviance, if I got some of that stuff going on, maybe I ain't quite right. And we can expand that to our day and age. Once you go into church and there's disunity, there's discord, there's strife, there's debates and contentions. The conclusion that we can reach, if Paul knew what he was talking about, is that somebody walking in the flesh. Because those are outworkings of the flesh. And that means somebody ain't in Christ. And then he ends this thing in 26 and says let us not be desirous of vainglory provoking one another and envying one another. So since we crucified the flesh and its affections we need to not be of those people who seek vain in vainglory that provoking one another. What he mean by provoking now is, 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 is getting on another wonderful nerves and trying to make them fight. And we're not envying one another. So we're not the people who stir up stuff but we're the peacemakers. Then he go into verse chapter 6 and said brethren if a man be taken in a fault, would you watch our spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest I also be tempted. And he expand this thing. So if you're working and we got this all together and somebody recognize that they're not in Christ, and he said, if your brother be found in a fault, so if you recognize that you got a brother that's in contention, that's living in this strife, this disunity, seeking this vain glory, say so you watch our spiritual, you that got the love, the joy, the peace, the meekness, the temperance, the long suffering, all that stuff, it's like you people restore such a one, but you do it in a spirit of meekness. So this shows us what we were going about with to let the love be without dissimulation. That it's a part of this body and it's a part of our unity. It's a part of us living in the spirit that we deal with sin. Like somebody in a fault, y'all deal with it, but you do it with a spirit of meekness. And so our position that we come in is, you bad. You messed up. You ain't no good. I don't even see how you get in this predicament. And you should not never be like that. I don't understand. That ain't the Christian way to do it. The Christian way to do it, he said, with lowliness of mind. So you be humble in your approach. And he said, you consider yourself. And so you go into this thing with a mindset and an understanding that the only thing that separates you from the fool is the grace of God. And you go into it with a mindset of you dealing with them the way that you want to be dealt with. Because that's what love does. So you consider yourself. And it's not a crushing and a destroying of the person. And trying to get them to the place where they hate themselves. And, and, they, and they understand that I'm wrong and I'm bad. Yeah, you want that. But the whole motive of it is to do what? Restore. So we relate to one another in our faults to bring them back. And we can't be on either side of the pendulum of our culture. Because you got a, a group that will tell you when somebody get caught up, like I said, you see the young girl who having a baby out of wedlock. That's the easiest one to pick on. And you be like, the whole other group, they shun her. They put them down. They don't want nothing to do with them. They can't come to the church no more. We ain't going to throw you no baby shower. Don't ask me for no gift. And you be like, okay, I understand where you're coming from. Cause we ain't supposed to condone sin and we're supposed to hate sin and all that good stuff. And yeah, they're wrong. But then you got the other group and say, it's alright, baby. It's alright, baby. Everybody make mistakes. It's okay, baby. We love you and we, we just want you to know that we know oh, both of y'all are wrong. Because we don't embrace everything. We only cleave to the good. But we deal with sin for the purpose of what? Restoring. And I like the way he left it open. He said you restore such a one. You restore them to what? You don't know say. He just said you restore them. And I like the way he left it open because they leave the picture open. You restore them back to God. You restore them back to unity and fellowship with the body. All of this is a part of restoration. And it ain't one or the other. That we're bringing them back to the fold. We want them to be back a part of the family. We want them to be united with Christ, and this is our whole purpose of working and dealing with them. It's a means of restoration. So we don't just bash folks and and, and, and beat them down and distance ourselves from them because they mess up. But we also don't just love and embrace every little thing that they do and say. Okay, it's all right. I understand. No, we don't understand. We don't understand how you think it's okay for you to stay there we want you to come back and so it gives us this picture of there is distance there is separation and we need to bring them back and i like the way in verse two he said bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ and once again he used an analogy but he leaves it open to bear means to carry so carry one another's burdens a burden is something that's that got somebody heavy laden or uh download it but it's open and if you take it isolated you think bear one another burden so if you got a brother that's in need i'm saying they ain't working It's tough war that's a burden for them and you help them out in there you help them get a job or you help them get groceries or help them with their family give them a place to stay and then we understand that that's cool but if you connect it with the context, he's talking about restoring somebody in sin and, and restoring somebody who have a fault. And he talks about dealing and dwelling with the disunity in the family. So if you take it with that mindset, bear one another burden, he can, you can take it to say you, you hold one another sin. Like, how do you do that? Like, how in the world i am going to bear somebody's sin? Jesus already did that. He bore our sins on the cross. So how in the world? Paul can't be talking about that. But there is a sense in which you can. Because there's burdens that people bear that weigh them down. The, the deep folks call them strongholds that people have, carry. And there's a sense in which we as the people of God should unite in them and be willing to pick up that load. And give an example. Like I said, you found out that you, you got a brother or sister and, they, and they're struggling. And this is the common way. I haven't been there to say I mean God had to mess with me on. It's like uh they messing up. And they they keep falling into sin. And so you get it, you tell them like, hey, the next time you feel yourself about to do that, you call me. That's good. That's noble. But think about it. When you was in your foolishness and you had a desire to do wrong, how often did you want to talk to the people who were going to tell you not to do it? Not too often. it's it's, it's not default set. matter of fact more default is to run for the people who gonna remind you of right and tell you to do what's right so I think it would be better a way to bear that burden is if you know you got a brother or sister struggling is you get into that struggle with them you don't wait till you call I mean you till you fall into call me I need you to call me every single day and man you need to talk and we gonna pray every day that when you got something going on, that I'm gonna I'm come get you. I'm gonna you, you stop driving because you you're crazy when you drive, and you have the tendency to go to the wrong places. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna take you everywhere you need to go. That I'm gonna come into your house. I'm gonna get the computer out your house, and I'm gonna put it in my living room. and We're gonna connect it to the big TV up front. And every time you get on the internet, you have to come over my house to get on the internet. <laughs> Everybody in the family gonna to get to watch what you strolling. And if you ever click on anything, we all gonna see it. These are means or these are ways where we bury one another's burden. That you can say, you can meet with me and we gonna pray and fast and we gonna pray it fast, and fast till you get broken off that thing. You take it as if it's your own struggle. In the same fight, in the same passion that you will put into it, as if yourself are trying to get out of You you grab onto that brother who are weak and struggling with it and you be willing to go with them. To that same mile. To that same degree. But this takes a bit of what? Uncomfort. You got to be willing to put yourself in a position where you got to do something. And you got to take responsibility for other grown folk who don't want to do right. And that's hard to do. But that's love. That you're willing to to make your own life complicated. To help somebody else in a situation, in a predicament... That they don't seem to have the strength to get over. And we do all this as a part and as a process of trying to restore them. So we bear one another's burdens. And he said, and so you fulfill the law of Christ. So by doing this, we being like Jesus. And we doing the mandate that Jesus gave us. What was that mandate? To love. Because John told us that you, you got a brother in need and they come to you and you tell them, go be warm, be fed." You ain't did nothing. And the Proverbs tell us that you do good to him to whom it is due when it is in your power to do so. So if you got the power to help somebody that needed, do it. And so we got to get out of the mindset of being the Christians that say, oh, I'm sorry, that's sad. I'm going to pray for you and then forget all about it and going on about our business, doing the thing. Then being caught up in the predicament when they ask you. And they be like, girl, your prayers sure work. Do you help me? And you don't want to lie, but you don't want to tell the truth. For you I be like, I ain't prayed for you a little bit. I forgot that soon we got another talk. <laughs> like, mm, that's good. That's good. <laughs> we can't be them type of people. If so folks want to say, Hey, pray for you. We, we, we think about John. We ain't saying go and be fed and be warm. We said, come on, let's go. Let's get it. You want to pray now? What are we praying about? Do we need to pray every day? How how we need we need to meet to pray? We're gonna we gonna text prayer out to one another. Well, how are we gonna do this thing? And figure out a way to help one another in our conditions because we need to bear one another's burdens. Go to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter five. chapter 5 verse 6 let's start at verse 6 it says therefore let us not sleep as do others but let us watch and be sober for they that sleep sleep in the night and they that be drunken are drunken in the night but let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith in love for an helmet." The hope of salvation for God have not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sakes. And be at peace amongst yourselves. Oh, this is Paul's picture. He got here to Thessalonians were in a time where they was a little confused. But their confusion is a bit different from the Galatians. Their confusion was people were telling them, Jesus came back and y'all missed it. And now they're starting to worry. And they got questions like, well, people dying. Like what's gonna happen to my, my lost loved ones that died? Like what's gonna happen to me? Is it, I'm, I messed up? So they had all these confusions about the afterlife and, and, and death in relation to Christ's return. And they didn't know what to do. And Paul broke it down and he gave them some time and he encouraged him, him at this point, like, Hey, you ain't like the rest of the heat. Like I said, you, you pay attention. You watch. Don't be asleep. Understand what's going on. But then he goes into his, is encouragement for them he talks about god did not appoint us to wrath so he's encouraging them don't got to worry about the day of wrath but he called us to obtain salvation through christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep we should live together with him so the ones that dead the ones that are alive we all going to live together with him because god did not appoint us to wrath so y'all ain't got nothing to worry about it's like, since that is true, you need to comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you already do. So here you have a picture of a community who's living together, they're working together. Now some people came in with some bad teaching that they messed their mind up, so they were beginning to worry. He taught them something to, to squelch their fears, and he encouraged them. So now y'all need to comfort one another and admonish one another as you already or edify one another as you already do so he gives the picture now since y'all know the truth people dying hard times are going on y'all need to rally together and bring comfort to each other so he's given the responsibility on the community to comfort and console each other in the midst of these hard times these people are under persecution and these people's in a position where their future was not sure. It's like, y'all in this time, comfort each other. And more than comfort each other, edify one another. So y'all be in a position where you build each other up. So you work to strengthen each other, even as you do. And it's like, then you, you take thought. Of those who labor among you, whoever is over you in the Lord, to extend them very highly in love for their work's sakes and be at peace among one another. And so we got this picture that we're living and working together in this community. Things are getting bad, but we come together for comfort. And in coming together for comfort, we also come together to strengthen each other. So you it's our work in building this unit to make sure everybody's in a place where they're comfort and everybody's in a place where they're being strengthened. And it's like and you recognize those who work among you. Even those who are over you in the Lord. So in this building of this community, in this building one another, we take a census. I'm saying we know the people, we know our family, and those who are over in the Lord. He said, "You extend them, and y'all be at peace amongst one another." So you get the picture of a community who's coming together to bring peace and bring comfort and consolation where everybody is getting strengthened. And this is our place of, of fellowship. This is our place of endurance. This is our place where we come together and how we fight off the ties of what's going on around the world is two together and through our unity. And we cultivate this unity by comforting one another, not allowing one of to suffer by themselves. And strengthening on the one. And, one. And, when they're in their strength, and when they're in their struggle, when they're in their weakness, we go beside them and we figure out ways to, to, to build them up. And he gave us a means through the teaching. This is how we relate to each other. And this is what we're supposed to do. So we're supposed to be loving one another. And that love is displayed without dissimulation. And it's displayed with us having affection for one another. And in that affection, we prefer one another. And in that preferring one another, we're willing to humble ourselves just to esteem others better than ourselves and in esteeming others better than ourselves we work and we do everything we can not to strive not to fight but to serve each other because that's what god called us to do and in that service of one another we don't coalesce or condescend to people in sin but we're willing to fight to restore them back to where they're supposed to be. And in that restoration, we're willing to bear one another's burdens. And in bear one another's burdens, we're willing to comfort each other and to build each other up. This is the type of community that we're supposed to have. And this is how we build up the unity that God calls us to fight for. Over and over again, in Colossians chapter 3, he tells us to forbear one another. That y'all, be, y'all endure each other. Another way of saying, y'all put up with each other that deep y'all put up with one another because this is the picture that we got and we do all these things for the purpose of unity and if we get the unity said that's what god commands the blessing so the blessing ain't in me striving and and, and receiving some level of greatness the blessing ain't in the apostle maxing out all his potential and all his skills the blessing is, is in us coming together, being united, being a family because that's what God commanded it. And in his command, he said, the blessing of life forevermore. So that's the good thing. That's the pleasant thing. That's the thing that's both delightful and beneficial. If we can forgive, if we can forbear, if we can be patient, if we can be kind, if we can be affectionate one to another. Now, do that mean all of us going to be on the same level of closeness as everybody else? Not necessarily. Because Jesus had 12 disciples. And over and over again, he kept doing this one thing. When he went up further, he called Peter, James, and John. Then he called one to himself, and he called Peter, James, and John. So it seemed to be Jesus was tighter with Peter, James, and John than he was with other people. I'm saying, I be reading that. I be like, God, man, what's the point? What's wrong with with Thaddeus? Like, why he don't get to make it in the inner circle? And the Bible don't ever take time to even explain it. And I take and understand life that that's life. There's some people you're going to connect with on a level that can't nobody else understand. But do you think he not loved the other nine? Oh, he died for them too. Do you think he didn't take time to patiently teach them? He did that stuff with them too. He was willing to humble himself to let doubting Thomas touch his thing. He didn't do that for Peter, James or John. But he was willing to do what was necessary for all of them. But in the working, and the living and the moving, them three was a little bit closer. And it might be like that in the midst of us. It's some people that we going to connect with and we just connect with. It can be something that crazy that we like the way their eyebrows look. And it remind me of my auntie. And I just automatically like, they don't even know their name. Like, you look like my cousin. <laughs> some old folk laugh like your uncle. And, and there's a connection there. But what we cannot allow is close connections to create close connections. Boy, can't nobody else get close to us. And so we understand, yeah, they're going to be some time where we bang. Like I said, some folk old and some folk young. Some folks don't understand jokes that come from a different world. They know Dwayne Wayne from Casey Undercover. <laughs> That's just a generational gap. But that does not create disunity. We fight and we strive to maintain the unity. So even in that closeness, and if you got somebody that you can open up to, open up to them. And once somebody open up to you, you take that as a precious thing and you, and you cherish it and you use it to cultivate, to build up and to strengthen that person. But you'll develop a relationship that can't nobody else be down with y'all. Cause that's not unity. That's strife. And that's a work of the flesh, not of the spirit, because the spirit creates unity. And what the spirit of the Lord is, that's freedom. But we don't use our freedom for occasion of flesh. We use that freedom to do what? Serve each other. There you go, girl. You gonna remember the scriptures one day. <laughs> Anybody got any questions?